Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. Two Moms and Some Labels is a podcast um, brought together so that we can bring families and caregivers to a shared space to be able to network, commune, and share and gain ideas um, in a safe place through these challenging times that we may face. Um, There's so many things that come up and we all need resources and ideas and encouragement um, to be able to continue to make it through this journey that we have. Um, And so for today, we are going to be talking about um, a rare diagnosis. Um, And we have a special guest with us that um, has a child with a rare diagnosis and she is going to introduce herself if you want to take it away. Yeah, hi. So I'm Felicia Charbonneau, and I have a seven-year-old daughter named Gwen, or her name's Gwendolyn, but we call her Gwen or Gwenny. And um, when I was pregnant with her, she received her diagnosis, which is called a genesis of the corpus callosum. And that's a really long slur of words that most people go, I'm sorry, what did you say? Um, So what that is, though, is that so your brain, you know, you have the two hemispheres, um, and the corpus callosum is what connects the two hemispheres to communicate to each other. So she does not have that piece of her brain. And so what that means for her is that um, basically it's like if you took the highway away from your brain and so your brain has to create back roads for communicating. So learning new skills like riding a bike, which crosses the midline, those sort of things um, just takes her a little bit longer. And so it's definitely a um, spectrum disorder. A lot of, you know, some people go their whole lives and never even knew that they have this disorder. Um, and then some people are um, entirely Im- impacted by it in different ways because there could be other uh, anomalies that occur with that, such as heart defects and everything. So, but when we got her dis- disorder, it was very surprising, and you know, I don't know, didn't know a lot about the brain at the time, and so uh, it sounded very scary when someone's like, "Your daughter's missing a piece of her brain," you know, and so yeah, um, yeah it was definitely a dream, and it, it kind of started off with us knowing something was up, but not knowing what. And they, cause my, you know, when they do like the blood panels early in your pregnancy to check for things like this down syndrome or other just trisomies, um, she came back as potential spina bifida. And so I went in kind of with that mindset of preparing for that. And then it totally diverted into this whole other world <laughs> and completely. And my doctor had never even had a single incident with that yet. So it was very jarring at the time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very, very scary to, you know, you're at the hospital, you're giving birth, your, you know, baby's life are in the hands of doctors, you know, that went to school for years and yet, you know, like they still don't have experience or much knowledge of, you know, this diagnosis that is here. Like what, what were your feelings and your like what was going through your mind during that time and did you ever find a doctor do you have a doctor that is you know kind of versed in or experienced dealing with this condition yeah so it was quite it was quite interesting process with because when i first got the diagnosis i was with a OBGYN who has been in the industry for longer than i had been alive and he um i was like hey do you have any experience 
with any babies that have had this? And he said, no. And then of course his next question was like, oh, would you like to continue this pregnancy? And I was like, yes, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh gosh, okay. So he sent me to a specialist, um, you know, the the medicine, like the fetal, the, the, they specialize in um, disabilities and, or, you know, when you get those rare diagnoses. And so um, a little bit more understanding of what was going on and kind of worked me through the processes and stuff. And so um, as we kind of were navigating the, getting the official diagnosis, my daughter also started having growth restriction. Um, she wasn't really growing well. So that became kind of more of the top of the concerns for her. And so um, I was fully prepared to end up having to have her induced much earlier than expected. And they were like, we could have her as early as 34 weeks. And so I kept hopping around all these different, I had like my primary doctor, but then I had the specialist and like all these different people involved. And you know, had to do non-stress tests and stuff just to make sure she was okay. And so long story short, we ended up inducing her at 37 weeks and we had a full NICU team ready to take her because they really didn't know what what to expect when she was born. They didn't know if she was going to be breathing on how big she really was. And she came out very tiny. She was, so yeah, we induced her at 37 weeks and she was three pounds, 13 ounces. So she was more like a 32 weeker size, you know, but she was breathing. She, um, was able to hang out with me for at least a day. And then they, she ended up going to the NICU more for just jaundice and stuff. It was more of kind okay. of what was expected. So she was in the NICU for a week and did pretty well. And um, they kind of checked more again on the spinal stuff just to make sure the spina bifida really still wasn't a concern. And right. and then sent us home <laughs> with this tiny little baby, you know? And so there was definitely oh. a lot of doctors involved in just like getting, like going from being primarily concerned about her diagnosis to worrying about her size, then just wanting to make sure she's okay. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we got her out, she was doing pretty good considering. And, you know, then it was kind of like, okay, um, we'll take it from here and kind of see how things go sort of thing, you know, and that's kind mm-hmm. of, and then it took a couple months for us to really in, in experience anything where like she started kind of having vision problems and such like that. So that's when things mm-hmm. kind of started picking up for needing specialists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, cause a common, uh, comorbidity, I can't even say the word, a common associated disorder is like having issues with your vision. Um, yeah. and she can see pretty well, but she had uh, nystagmuses, which in your eyes kind of shift a little bit and have a hard time mm-hmm. focusing. Um, and then she had some other little here and there things, but overall, I will say that we are very um, blessed in the sense that she is pretty healthy. She's on growth hormones. She, um, you know, has some sensory things, but all things considering, we've got very fortunate with, you know, she doesn't have any congenital heart defects or anything like that. So. So, yeah, that's awesome. So how long did you guys stay in the NICU? She was only in the NICU for about seven days. And it it was funny because when she got admitted to the NICU, it was like, we're either going to send her home or we're going to send her to the NICU. And it was very like, oh, wow. Because that was like how on the cusp she was of being like, cool to go home and like, well, we're going to keep her in the NICU. And I was like, brand new mom. I'm like, um, I think I'd rather you keep her here. because that's <laughs> <Right. okay." laughs> And then she was three like, pounds and they were still want to send her home weighing three pounds. Yeah. And like, you know, so she wasn't really eating great and stuff and her temperature was kind of iffy and like, so, and she needed the light. So her belly ribbons were a little low and stuff. And so I was like, but like, she was like kind of improving, but I don't know. It was really weird. Like, uh, you know, either she's going to be good or we're going to admit her. I was like, okay. And I'm glad they admitted her because it gave us time to kind of 
<laughs> and then the first night when she was home, I was like worried that she, I was going to have to take her back. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. But, but wow. it was, you know, the, yeah, the thing with the really cool thing about what happened with her diagnosis is that I found um, social groups on Facebook and stuff that of parents mm -hmm. with that have children with this disorder. And I was able to throughout my pregnancy connect with these other mm -hmm. parents that were experiencing it have already been experiencing mm -hmm. it for years. And that's what really gave me peace of mind is those other parents, you know, the doctors, it's like, oh, yeah, I heard of it once in medical school, right. but that was about the extent of their knowledge. Whereas these parents really kind of they showed you, hey, here's my child that has this going on and they're doing OK. It's like, yeah, we have our struggles, but we're getting through life and they're happy kids or, you know, stuff like that. So. Okay. So I see that. Home, did she take a bottle and do everything like that? Yeah. So when she was little, um, she didn't like I tried nursing and stuff and that wasn't really mm -hmm. successful for me. But she took a bottle and, okay. you know, all the things that babies do, you know, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's just uh, like I said, she started having some vision stuff and then um, some other kind of offbeat things that had nothing really to do with her corpus callosum being missing. It was just kind of mm -hmm. like um, she had this. uh now I can't even think of what it's called, but you can get them externally, but um, it was oh. behind her eye. It was just like this swelling behind her eye. Oh, so wow. she had to take a medication for that because it was like making her eye kind of like puffy. So wow. that was fun because there's like this medication they put her on that's actually for like blood pressure medication, but it works okay. to reduce yeah. the swelling. Nice. So it was on a blood vessel. So it's like there was that, you know, but it didn't really have anything to do specifically with her disorder. It was just kind of okay. something that happened, I think. But a lot of people get this diagnosis and I've noticed are just kind of in the dark and afraid like that their baby isn't going to be okay, you know, and it's, it's such a scary thing feeling like alone in that because when you search yeah. it, it's kind of daunting and scary. Um, just like when people say don't Google things. I'm a Googler. I have to go. <laughs> I have to Google. I, I have to research. I'm like, I got to know everything I can know. Me but too. if you yeah. don't know, yeah. if you don't go down the right path, you could get into some pretty dark spaces. And so yes. um, that's where the networking has really been amazing. I've met and I've started speaking out for my daughter's disability. And I've had moms reach out to me and being like, oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant right now. I've been really scared. And I found your video. And I'm like, this is what I wanted, you know, right. um, to, be, to be what people find when they're looking about this disorder is that they find somebody that's like, hey, look at all the amazing things that could happen you don't know what's going to happen but there's hope in that not that your baby's not going to be okay you know and that's kind of what happens when you just google it and so right. it's just been really a great finding those connections and through our like there's a national organization that's fantastic they're called the oh. nodcc and they're absolutely amazing um they have conferences every two years where everyone can gather and meet others that have the disorder and they teach on it and you can meet with people that do um studies and everything is just a fantastic thing so there's definitely those resources it's just it's hard to find them if you don't know what you're looking for so. right mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome so does she attend regular school yeah so she is in a general education class about 70 percent mm -hmm. of the day um she just got up to that point we started her off um not a full day because her sensory abilities is it was just too much and too nowadays much. they start school full day at like preschool right. and i was like absolutely yeah. <laughs> um she's tapped out she was tapped out half days and then so she just now officially got up to a full day of school 
and she's in the general education, you know, a good chunk of the time. She still has, um, she has occupational therapy, speech therapy, and then outside of school, she's getting things like feeding therapy because she's like five things. So um, we're working on that. Yeah. Her her food of preference is cheese quesadillas and that's about it. So, you know, I'm with her. <laughs> I love them like too, but I'm like, well, how... <laughs> right? What are what are her other foods she likes? What so, else does she like? Um, it's basically right now. So it started off more of a variety of palate. Like a lot of kids will have, they'll try different things when they're babies. Yeah. But it's as she's right. gotten older, it's actually significantly decreased. And obviously, a lot of typical kids have food preferences or you know but hers comes down to it's very sensory and she like has kind of so right now the solid food is primarily cheese quesadilla which i'll sneak chicken into and then Um, um to get like um fruits and veggies she won't touch any like normal fruits and veggies so we'll do this like milk concoction with a food packet like with all the stuff in it uh (laughs) so she'll drink like her little smoothie and the quesadillas and then she used to eat these like gerber ravioli things but they discontinued them and i'm like no right (laughs) so yeah you 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 it's hard when you rely on a specific brand or something because then if it goes away or they change it then okay these kids are very there's no tricking <laughs> there's no trick right they know like so, hold on this is yeah it's like she used to Aww. like apple juice boxes but it had to be only one kind of juice box and they changed the design and it was like no go out. really oh wow <laughs> yeah. okay. so it's just you really yeah but no, she's, it's just, yeah, so we're working on trying to kind of help with those food aversions and um, getting that palate back up. Because she used to eat all kinds of things like scrambled eggs and refried beans and macaroni and cheese. And it's just the list has slowly dwindled. And I'm like, and she's on growth hormones. So her appetite is increasing, but her food options oh, have decreased. Really? So, okay. Yeah. Now, is that part so of the diagnosis? Is that part of her um, diagnosis? It's really hard to say. So... The thing with her disorder, which I'll shorten it to just ACC, is that a lot of times it kind of is a gray area of whether it's considered autism or just ACC, and they can kind of coexist. She did get an autism diagnosis, which is great, but a lot of those things that come with that are sensory things and, um, you know, sensitivities. So, like, she has huge auditory sensitivities, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like, she's very attuned to different things, but... She also is very sensitive and very to where um, it's hard for her to get past certain things. So sometimes she'll get fixated on something. And so it's kind of, I think a lot of people with ACC do also have these sensory things going on, but they just look different for everybody. So um, it just really is such a spectrum, just like autism is. And it kind of, like I said, they can kind of coexist similarly. So, yeah. So when you, um, when you were talking about the, her, you know, her corpus callosum. Um, so my daughter, she has um, cortical visual impairment, and so oh, yeah. with the CVI, you know, it has to do with the corpus callosum. Um, also, like um, a part of it, I don't know if it's like missing or it's damaged um, mm-hmm. from, um, you know, the the brain bleed that she had, but the visual impairment that is a part of the you know the damage from the the corpus callosum and um like she has a lot of sensory things and so 
it's also like we don't know exactly what she sees. So with um, your daughter, like do you, she can see well, like she can see everything or does she wear glasses? Yeah, so she does wear glasses and her vision isn't like too horrendous. Like I'm blinder than she is. I use contacts, but um, but she has like a null point where she has to sometimes she'll tilt her head to kind of focus on something. Mm -hmm. And then um, she does have some other things that they're monitoring through there. And I can't remember all of the terms that they use for it, but it's just something that, yeah, they'll kind of continue to watch and um, kind of see how it goes. But her left eye is a little bit weaker from that blood vessel thing that developed at one point. But, um, but overall, I think she can see pretty well. She's very um, attuned to what's going on more visually now, especially as she's gotten older, I've seen it improve. So I think it's just more of a slower development for her. And so I think before it was like she couldn't when she was three months old, she was not really like tracking, you know, like babies are supposed to kind of follow things. She wasn't really doing that. But as she's gotten older, her vision has gotten stronger and her willingness to kind of observe the world has gotten stronger. Like she is more visually observant. So I've, I'm relieved in that sense that it hasn't impacted her in that way where her vision is getting worse over time or anything. And it's hard to say in the long term, but yeah, like those kind of coexisting brain things. Like she has a couple other things going on in her brain too. Like her pituitary gland is um, a little bit smaller and kind of in the wrong place. And then um, she has some spots in her brain where there's like more gray matter than there's supposed to be. So they said that um, with ACC, there's already an increase of seizures, but they think that with those spots on her brain that there's even more of an increase, but so far none but it could literally happen at any point in her life. So, but I mean, I've met, I've met other adults with ACC who they didn't know they had it until they had a seizure at like 20 years old. So it's just like one of those things you always have to be kind of aware of happening, but not, you know, not to be too hung up on it, but yeah. So it's something that um, symptoms can come later on. Yes. So yeah, she like oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, overall, like um, the thing with the corpus, so it's like I said earlier, it's a midline disorder. So normally it impacts things like the midline. So like the vision, like you said, your, was it your niece or your, your relative? My daughter. Your daughter. I'm sorry, your daughter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was like, wait, who had the, <laughs> the actual diagnosis? Um, so like her, like, you know, it's like those things that are down the middle. Like I said, the heart is one that's often impacted the abdominal, you know, area. So she checked clear for those other ones, but things like okay. that are happening in the brain are always, it's always growing. It's always changing. So things could develop later. Fortunately, yeah. the more serious seizures are probably out of our worry because those usually okay. develop earlier on like severe epilepsy and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, as she grows and changes, it's hard to say if anything else will kind of come up, but so far she's, super smart kid she's very um okay. into music which is amazing because that's a very um very impactful thing on the corpus callosum so when you don't even have one it really helps kind of connect those two sides too and um you know she loves like numbers and letters and memorizing things that kid has a memory of a <laughs> an wow. elephant like she can okay. yeah so she has a lot of strengths too. So it's pretty fantastic how she works. Yeah. Yeah. She's very inquisitive on how things work and very kind of almost like an engineer. I always say she has an engineer brain because she's like, how does this work? How do I manipulate it? How can I play with this? You know? <laughs> so yeah. And that's the great thing too about the brain. You know, the brain has um, plasticity. So, you know, it, even though it may have been damaged, it's able to 
you know, still like grow. And yeah. one thing I noticed since I worked, um, I used to work with children that have visual impairments is that um, like with my daughter with a CVI, when she first was diagnosed with it, she, you know, she wouldn't make eye contact with us. She wasn't tracking. She preferred one side. You had to bring things close. You got to have the contrast and, you know, all those things like that. But now that she's grown older, I mean, she like tries to make eye contact. Um, you yeah. know, she will look to both sides, like she will try and track things a little bit. So definitely like the vision has improved instead of decreased. And then also I like kind of advocated for her to have glasses, even though I was like, they're like, I don't know if it's going to make a difference or not if she wears glasses, but I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. She has a little script, give it to me and we're going to try the glasses out. And I think no, the glasses like really helped um, improve, you know, her vision some wearing the glasses. And yeah, um, and that just, yeah, that's amazing. It really shows what that early intervention can do. Like there's, it's not going to hurt, mm -hmm. you know, and when you know you have this diet, like with the ACC, I always encourage parents, like get them into, like if you, if most states offer some sort of like birth to three program where you should qualify if like to get them in home occupational therapy access and speech therapy. And even if it's like not obvious that they're needing it right away, if they can qualify it with that disability, like take advantage because every little step helps. And like you said, the brain is so amazing. Like um, I've done a lot of more research on it and like even seeing people who experience brain traumas or accidents and stuff and like how those specialized therapies can really just mm -hmm. impact it and help it and heal it. And it's just amazing. The brain is extremely like an incredible thing that is able to do so many more things that we even realize. And so it's just mm -hmm. cool to see her overcome some of those things that, you know, you might assume that her brain won't be able to figure out, but it does because her brain doesn't know that it's missing anything. It just knows oh, yeah. what it is and it's doing its thing. And so it's pretty cool to watch. Wow. So now when you got your anatomy scan at like around, I guess what, 20 weeks they do it. Did they see it then or this was just from blood work? So the blood work was what told them the I had the blood work done. I think it was like 13 weeks or whatever. And then they said, hey, it, it came back as potential for spina bifida. So at your 20 week ultrasound, we're going to do a level two ultrasound, which is apparently like a little bit more in depth of one mm -hmm. um, than a standard. And so at that 20 week ultrasound, they were looking for it. And at first they couldn't really tell for sure if it was missing. They they saw um, an absent, it's called another long word, cavum septum pellucidum, which is a marker on the brain that all babies should have. It's like a little space that they're supposed to have. And that was absent. So they said, because she's missing that, it, it's indicative that she is likely missing her corpus callosum or something else is going on. So then they said, we recommend you do a fetal MRI, which is very challenging sometimes with babies because, you know, you can't make them stay still in there. Uh, but they were able to do that um, around like 27 weeks is when they did oh, that. And they were able to confirm, they were able to confirm that, yes, she's missing it. And so it was just more of like a knowledge thing of like, you know, there's, they offered to do the amniocentesis, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but I opted out of that as I wouldn't have benefited. Like there was nothing I could do beyond just knowing. And it was more of a risk than it was worth right. for me. So I opted out of that. If she had for sure um, been more leaning towards the spina bifida, I may have opted for that because I've read that there's things that they can do in utero for Medicine, spina yeah. bifida. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was like, you know, in that case, but with mine, it was like, well, it is what it is sort of thing. So right. we mm -hmm. just 
accepted that and kind of moved forward with that instead of op opting into any more infiltrating of <laughs> yeah right. yeah that amniotic fluid that's no joke that's serious <laughs> yeah i was already yeah. worried into like before all of the drama started i was already right. really nervous in my pregnancy because i um had like so before i got pregnant with her i had an earlier like miscarriage it was like very early on oh, and man. And then I had like during my pregnancy with her, I had some spotting and stuff very early on. So I was very yeah. from the beginning. She was just drama. <laughs> she, I always joked, you know, like giving me more stress than necessary. And from the start, yeah. she was worth it. She was worth it. <laughs> and look at her now. Just look. I know yeah. she's a spicy little thing. I love her. She's so funny, and she has a great sense of humor. And that's one thing I love because sometimes sense of humor can be harder for people with ACC because they can be very literal. Um, mm -hmm. So some things it's like, it's hard to know like if how their sense of humor will be or they may be more, um, have a hard time interpreting sarcasm and stuff like that, which we're not sure for like, she does have some communication delays. So we aren't for sure like how she will long-term be impacted, but she's hilarious. She knows how to make people laugh, you know? So that's always great to see. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then you said, so she has feeding, um, OT, and PT. So does she get- uh, No do PT you guys right have, now, just speech, yeah. Speech, okay. Do you guys have vision yeah. services? We have is, before is gotten vision therapy. When she was in the birth to three program, we had vision therapy, but then over time, they didn't really consider her qualified anymore for it, that she didn't need it so much. Um, like I said, it seems like her vision overall improved, but early on, it was fantastic. The vision therapist would come into our home and work on those things. And so we definitely took advantage of it at the time, but, um, she no longer needs that. So we just continue to see like ophthalmology through the children's hospital and everything. So how is her weight gain right now? Now that she's on growth hormones, it's fantastic. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, so we did get her put on growth hormones a year ago um, because she was pretty petite still. So she just okay. now is almost hitting 40 pounds and she's turning eight in August. Oh. So she's a tiny little thing. Um, mm -hmm. But she's definitely grown a lot in height since we started it. And um, the growth hormone stuff, though, that's a whole other, whole other story in itself. There was like a shortage when we started. And oh, um, but it's just and it can be hard to get through like the process of being approved for it and everything but we were able to do that and so it's been very helpful to her so far does she like pediasure or no no <laughs> she we tried that initially with the food but that's when i started making up like i said that kind of milkshake thing it's kind of the same concept but without whatever they put in it i just kind of right. make it my own way so okay yeah we tried that initially and she was like not not right. no not yeah. gonna do it not gonna do it my son yeah. has feeding he's still g-tube fed and his oh, favorite yeah. thing is um the naked juices strawberry banana mm -hmm. oh so yeah drink that but he won't drink pediasure so i blend <laughs> it with his food it's like pedi i'm like everyone i thought loved pediasure so he's like nope i don't want no parts of it so i'm just like, I'll be right. fair, i didn't care for the taste of it either i was like oh it's like i don't know yeah. like Sugar, That's what my mom said. She goes, well, you try it. I'm like, no, I don't want it either. Melon <laughs> <laughs> just makes yeah. me like, Ugh. But yeah, so his drink of choice is um, naked, the naked juice. 
Oh and yeah, I have to try that. Yeah, and we'll get him and to what bring is... some smoothies, but it has to be. It can't be like we we'll have to be smoothie king consistency and not tropical smoothie because they still have the <laughs> thickness. I'm like, dude. So I understand what yeah. you mean by picky. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no changes. No, that's like with the right. mac and cheese for a while. She would eat any mac and cheese. Then it was like only craft mac and cheese, no fancy uh-huh. mac and cheese, you know. She's and now we got no mac and cheese. And oh, so she like softer food. Ask, yeah. Does yeah, she it eat has to be food? kind of. Not really. No, she oh, used my. to eat like crackers that would dissolve, and that's the thing is she doesn't really chew properly. She just will gotcha. kind of okay. sort of chew on it until it's able to be swallowed. Like when she did eat those little Gerber ravioli things, she would practically swallow them whole. And I'm like, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, girl, she you are so stressing soft. me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and you know, so my husband's like, we gotta cut them in half. I'm like, they're already so tiny. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, and I meant yeah. to ask you both what exact. I know you mentioned your daughters with your her vision and everything, but what are each of your child's diagnoses exactly? I was just curious. Um. Well, my daughter she has quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my son, um, mild cerebral palsy and nationally, no, globally developmentally delayed. Okay. Yeah. And well, yeah, we I have a friend with her son. About getting, we're set up to get, he has a trach and a G tube. So we're waiting until he gets the trach out um, to go ahead and get him tested for um, autism. We don't know mm-hmm. due to COVID and just his other things that are going on if that's why he's considered like socially awkward. Um, Cause he yeah. hasn't been around a lot of people. So we're yeah. waiting to see before we go ahead and jump full force into um, getting an autist, autism diagnosis. Or yeah. Right now to me, yeah, he's fine. Makes- I'm like, he just socializes with who he wants. He's like his mother. He has a little toot at times. Look, yeah. you know, <laughs> want him socializing with everyone anyway. So I'm fine with it. I mean, but we're trying to, <laughs> so he's fine at school. He's in the ESC program. He's not in general education yeah. yet. So he's around his peers. So what he does, you know, we're out at places as long as we have a tablet and a phone, he'll sit through yep. it. Right <laughs> Sounds right. right. <laughs> Gotta have a tablet and a phone. Um, yep. And we're fine. Um, he's He talks, you know. He's picky, picky, picky eater. We start back feeding therapy because we stopped while school was going on because it was just a little too much on him. Yeah. So we'll actually, we go for our eval on Wednesday. So we'll start that back to hopefully get him chewing some food. So um, yeah, he's, I get what you mean by that. That's a hard one. And it freaks me out. So I'm like your husband. No, he can't just, just leave it alone. You want something to drink? Yeah, that's easier. You yeah. Because. The chewing freaks me out. So yeah, I get it's it. so hard. And yeah, and it's mm. funny you talked about the social, the social thing. Cause my daughter, um, only recently she started to kind of be more interested in her peers. It was like, okay. unless they were an adult or an older child, she was like, Yeah, you know, you don't have any benefit to me. <laughs> and so she'd kind of just ignore them and or like uh they'll come up in her space and she'll just be like, essentially telling them that they can move on and go away she's just like you go over there i'm doing my own thing and like she's starting to warm up and like some of the kids at school because i asked her teacher you know um because we've actually moved a few times and which is also okay. a whole challenge in its own starting over and then over right. again with setting up your services and all that and starting a new school but when i before we moved the last time 
I had found out right before we moved that there was this one little girl that really got attached to my daughter and was like a friend to her and very protective of her. But I didn't even know about it until we were moving. And um, so I asked her teachers now, I'm like, well, is is she making any friends, you know, anyone? And they were like, oh, well, there's this one little girl who, yeah, at first Gwen's like, you know, you know, bye. (laughs) And then, but she kept trying and finally has like kind of figured out what gets Gwen interested. And so there, you know, she's got some friends that kind of focus on trying to interact with her and they know what she likes and stuff like that. But it is hard for her. Like if, if Gwen isn't trying, a lot of kids don't keep trying. And that's what I think is really important to teach all kids is that some people Mm -hmm. just take a little bit more warming up to do, you know, some of these kids, it's just, you got to find what their interests are. You know, Gwen likes, certain active play and stuff is just kind of teaching them what she, her preferences are. And it's not always what typical kids might like. She doesn't, right. you know, care about mm-hmm. the class parties or, you know, certain things right. that, you know, kids get excited about. She's just like, I want to roll down this hill or you know, right. play with the fan, mm-hmm. you know? So yep. if they kind of get on her <laughs> level, they'll connect with her. <laughs> That's good though. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I, I know earlier when you were, um, you know, giving birth and everything, and it was almost, you know, a debate whether you guys should go home or go to the NICU, you know, and then you were a first time mom. And, you know, these are things that we need as parents and, you know, as mothers, um, especially uh, first time mothers, because I think a lot of us, you know, when we've had our children, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I don't know what to do. So we're just going along mm-hmm. with whatever the doctor says or suggests, you know, is right. And because we think that that is the right thing since they're the medical professional, but it's good, you know, that you kind of advocated for yourself and your child and was like, no, I, you know, I think we need to go to the NICU. I would feel more comfortable doing that. So um, with that being said, in the school system, you know, with her uh, does she have an IEP? Yes, she has had an IEP. Okay. Yeah. So, like, how have things been with that as far as, you know, you being able to get the things that she's supposed to get in her IEP um, or, you know, like appointments and therapies? Have you had any trouble getting those things and, you know, having to be like a real strong advocate for your child and you like push to get the things that she needs? Yeah. So, the only, the only hiccup I had so far, which again, with move, we've moved three times. And so she's been at like four different schools. Right. And so the only issue I had was when we first moved to, we moved to Virginia first from Washington state to Virginia. And that was her second year of preschool. And they said that we do full day here. And I said, that's not something that she's able to handle. And they're like, kind of gave me a little bit of pushback on it at first saying, well, that's just how we do it. I said, well, she's not going full day, so figure it out. And um, so they accepted my request. And then a month later, the teacher came back and was like, she was fantastic. She was like, yeah, you were right. (laughs) Your daughter taps out at the half day mark. I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I knew. And so ever since then, though, honestly, I have felt very privileged in the sense that we have been lucky to have amazing teams with all the schools that we've been at in three different states. I don't know how it's happened, but we've been very fortunate that we have not had a lot of pushback and we've had a lot of encouragement. And because you hear very much the opposite a lot of the time. And 
um, going from Washington to Virginia to Colorado back to Washington. I'm like, at some point we're going to run out of luck. <laughs> but, um, and I don't know as she gets older and kind of has different challenges if that will change. But so far, I have been so lucky. We've had amazing teams. She's had amazing paraeducators um, at all of her schools. And I don't know how we've gotten so lucky because <laughs> yeah. I just heard, I, I'm like wondering, I'm like, am I missing something that I'm supposed to be pushing back on? But <laughs> you just hear that that's such a struggle for people. And so yeah. um, I do try to talk about that because I'm like, well, there is, there is good ones out there. It's just, but I do communicate a lot with her teachers all the time. I mean, I'm daily, I pick her up from school. I have conversations almost every day with her para about how her day was, what her struggles were. You know, um, I just am constantly in contact with them. So they don't really get much of a choice <laughs> in yeah. having, hearing my thoughts on things. And I, you know, I have built great relationships with all of them so far. That's good. And um, so, I don't know, you know, like if you may have been like on a different career path or a different life path before your daughter, but do you feel as if, you know, having your daughter has changed your life significantly um, or you may be doing something and you had to stop, you know, and kind of redirect your life plans? Yeah. So when I had my daughter, I was working, um, I had a job that was in the office and I had my daughter and I came, went back to work. And then when my daughter was approaching three months and we kind of started having the stuff that we were dealing with, I, I asked them, I said, Hey, I know some other people here, um, work, you know, at home sometimes, is that a possibility for me? And it just wasn't able to work with them. And so at that point I made the decision to step out of that job and stay home with my daughter and kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I had some work from home jobs that I would like, I did tow dispatch dispatching in the middle of the night, which is a terrible idea when you have a baby, <laughs> but, uh, I tried that and then I started my own business in event planning. And so I kind of was like kind of bouncing yeah. around trying my own stuff, but I was able to do that. I think the biggest thing that I would say is impacted is just, um, you know, me and my husband have been together for almost 10 years, or actually we've been together like 12 years, but married almost 10 years. And it just really um, makes you be very aware of your relationship and how you, important communication is. And that's really the biggest impact is the relationship. And, um, you know, the statistics are not pretty on people with disabilities and oh, marriage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very daunting when you read the statistics. Yeah. You're like, oh, <laughs> you know, it is very, um, it can be very challenging. Right. And especially if you're newer into marriage, like we were only, um, we weren't very far into being married when we had our daughter. And so um, we've done a pretty good job at communicating and, you know, everyone has their ups and downs, but it just, um, because we know of how challenging it is, we are very on top of it with being um, advocating for ourselves and talking through things. And, um, you know, he has his concerns, I have mine and we work through them every time. And so, um, that's been a thing is just, you know, when you become a parent, that's the thing is you never know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to have a typical child or not a typical child or even any child, you know, and just being aware that you have to be willing to get what you're dealt sometimes and work and work to maintain that in the best possible way, yeah. you know. And so it just really has taught us, you know, the importance of communicating with your spouse and also and the importance of still finding a way, no matter what, to 
take care of each other as your relationship. You know, it's your kid always comes first half the time. And um, sometimes you don't have family support or other support. And that's really hard. But just kind of making time um, for each other, even if it's like after they're sleeping or and yeah. my child doesn't sleep well either. That's a huge other point of contention with how things are going with her. But um, she doesn't sleep well. She doesn't go to bed early like some kids do. So it's hard for us to find that time sometimes. But sometimes it's like, oh, she went to bed at midnight. Okay, we're going to watch a show and we'll just suffer <laughs> later <laughs> for it. But, you know, you just you make time for it and you just you have to prioritize that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, I know, speaking of the, the sleep, oh my gosh, we had a very long span of years that, I mean, there was like no sleep. There was screaming and yelling and everything all the time. Like her dad would sometimes be like, I'm about to go sleep in the car because I cannot even deal I with this. Like, I, just, I just need to get like one good night of sleep. Right. And um, <laughs> we finally have, knock on wood, we finally have a medicine that has been working. After we've tried every medicine under the sun for sleep, um, we finally have found a medicine that has been working pretty good. So I'm hoping that that continues to work. So I don't know, you know, if you use it. You're going to have to hook me up because <laughs> we've also like tried... <laughs> I'm no amount of melatonin is going to save her. And then you've got people that are like, just try lavender. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, right. I've tried yeah. everything. Okay. Um, and yeah. that's a, a lot of kids with ACC have sleep issues and stuff. But I mean, she slept okay. Like a, a, a baby might sleep a little iffy for the first year or two. But then after year two, it just, I'm on year almost eight. And I'm like, is it ever going to happen? <laughs> You know, so uh, yeah, she just, it's like, like yeah, a it's like zombie. <laughs> I know, and my husband, he he wakes up to everything, and I'm usually like next. Sometimes I'm next to her, and I'm so tired that I can kind of sleep through her, like yelling at me for her iPad. But he's uh -huh. like in the other room, like what's happening in there? And I'm like, what? But I'm like sleeping through it all, the tornado, and he's just like, what's happening? <laughs> But yeah. I'm like, I'm so tired. <laughs> right. And then um, you said there's a group um, or an organization that that does like research and provides information about um, yeah. the diagnosis. Um, what is that? Yes. And like what research do they have currently like going on? Anything new? So they, um, it's called the National Organization for Disorders of the Corpus Callosum. Very also, okay. we just stick to the long names of, <laughs> and, yeah. but NODCC, um, they have a webpage that provides, um, you know, how to um, tell others about your diagnosis from, you know, educators to family. They have great video resources explaining it in very simple terms of what it looks like for somebody with ACC or, DC, you know, there's other disorders of the court. Some people have, you know, thinning or partially developed or um, yeah. other issues, too. So it kind of covers a variety of um, okay. disorders for that. But um, and they constantly are updating like they've gotten really active lately on their social media as well. And um, they do. One amazing resource that they've gotten consistent on is uh, Zoom calls for different different um, 
scenarios. So they have a Zoom call that they do for oh. new and new and expecting parents of that. They have a dad. My husband attended the dad's one and it was just all these dads oh. from different ages. And they were all just it's just such a great way for them to be like, oh, we're all in the same boat here. You know, things that my husband sometimes is like worried that, you know, we're struggling with. He's like, oh, OK, I feel better knowing that they're also struggling with that. and They're two years ahead of us. So. And so um, they have, you know, different categories. Oh, they had a grandparents one. My my parents attended, and oh. it was just very eye opening oh. for them to be able to actually even talk yeah. to adults that have the disorder, and they learned so much. And so it's just such That's a. I nice. love that they're doing yeah. that now because, um, and I sent the links to other people. I'm like, hey, here's your chance to know some other people, mm -hmm. and um, so they do that. And then the conference, like I said, is just, I, I've gone to one so far and it is just so beneficial to like meet other people. And um, they do different seminars on different topics. Like I, when I went, they did one like about potty training and um, you know, how to handle that with your circumstance. And then they offered you opportunities to speak to the different doctors that are uh, doing the researches and stuff. So they're doing another one next year in DC, I think. So that'll be the next one is Washington DC. Sure. I'm really excited to attend that because it's just such a cool opportunity to see all these different families and get your resources all in one place. And yeah. they do a little like party at the end, just like any, you know, fun conference. And you just get to kind of intermingle with all these different families. And yeah, Hi. so it's been awesome. And see, this is why we do this because I never even heard of this organization. Yeah. You know, so there's like so many resources out there that, you know, we don't know about. And then free resources at that. Yes. And it's just yeah. so much information. And, you know, uh, you could be dealing with this or something similar. And like you said, there's different, um, you know, types of the um, diagnosis. So, like, I need to go look on here and see if yeah. you know, there's something that can help me. Uh, I mean, this is just awesome. And so, yeah. of course, you know, the podcast is here so that we can, you know, encourage each other, give each other, um, you know, uh, uplifting words and just motivate each other to continue to keep going um, through these challenging times. And so, you know, as a mother with a child that has a rare diagnosis, what is, what what's some advice that you would give a parent or a family that's dealing with something similar? Yeah, I would say um, just take each day by day um, and try not to focus too much on what the future is because it, every every parent doesn't know what the future holds for their child. But for us, especially with children with disabilities, it can be more scary to kind of go down that tunnel of like, are they going to be okay as adults, you know, and you kind of like get into that mindset of worry. Um, but a lot of times you get to kind of, there are opportunities to pause and just enjoy your baby for who they are and what they are and love your baby. And when my daughter was born, the ACC diagnosis at that point did not matter. All I wanted to know is that I was able to see my baby and that she was going to at least be okay. You know, she was in good hands. And um, I know that some parents go through a lot harder of a situation than I did even. It's like, yes, mine was hard, but there's different kinds of hard. But even I feel like even if you have the harder situation, there are those moments to take in and just enjoy your baby and stop the stuff that is bad and like worrying and just and just because it can it can get 
consuming. It can yeah. get, like I said, I'm a researcher and it can consume you. And sometimes being in, in the, like I said, I'm in the Facebook groups and stuff and they're amazing. And I think they're a huge, important resource, but there are times where you are seeing kind of some of the harder times that people are going through. And sometimes that can be hard to like process and you kind of get like too much. <laughs> so you have to step away again <laughs> and like, just appreciate your moment. So I think it's just, you know, finding that balance of, you know, advocating and researching and doing all the things, but also taking time to breathe and just be, just be with your child. And so, yeah. Definitely great advice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like she said, we can only take it day by day. You can't, you know, worry about what's going to happen in the future. We only can live in the present and, um, you know, not put any more stress on our, our minds and bodies than we already have. And, you know, sometimes the children can feel that too. And so you don't want to bring mm -hmm. that energy around the children as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, thank you so much for those mm -hmm. words. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope that someone that needs to hear that is able to hear that and take that in and, um, you know, just keep on pushing along in this journey and know that there are resources available. Okay. And, um, you know, this will be posted on our Facebook page, Two Moms and Some Labels. And also I'll put the link to the um, NODCC.org. And, um, and then I'll try to see about the Facebook groups too. But this yeah. will be on uh, Facebook, on um, Spotify, Apple, and um, on our YouTube channel, Two Moms and Some Labels. And I just want to thank you so much, Felicia, for taking this time out of your day to come on Absolutely. here with us and share your story with us, share your daughter uh, with us. We really appreciate that. And, you know, we just want to reach out and help other families that may be going through this also. And just also give some more education to people that are unaware of this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, and we just thank you so much again for coming on with thank us. You. Thank you for having me. I really, I really appreciate it. This was my, you know, very first one. I was like, yeah. not sure what to expect. And you guys, absolutely, I think it's awesome what you're doing and just seeing more podcasts like this come into the world and kind of with more variety, because some of them are very, you know, focus-based on specific needs, but having that kind of variety is such an awesome thing and really cool to connect, so. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you guys and for joining us for another episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. And we will catch you on the next episode. Make sure that you go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. And we have an IG now. So go check us out. And thanks to Felicia. I started the IG page. So. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, oh, she did it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sometimes we need that push. And, yeah. you know, talking to someone else, they can give you lots of encouragement. And you definitely did that. So thank you again. And uh, we'll see you all on the next episode of Two Moms and Some Labels. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.